The Old Testament reading for this, the the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to Philemon, the entire letter. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
And this is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you intend to live according to the word of God, and in faith, word, and deed, to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church, and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? Do those questions sound familiar? These are two questions that we ask of our confirmants as they take their vows of faith and become communicant members of this congregation. Most of us have spoken similar vows at our confirmation. Do you realize what those vows mean? More importantly, are you actually willing to keep those vows as you promised you would? Now, some would say that it's a bit much to ask an eighth grader to make such a promise, that they're willing to die for their faith. But when Jesus spoke this daunting proclamation in our gospel reading today, he did not put any age limit on it. He speaks of all Christians, young and old, lifelong member and fresh off the paganism boat. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's a tall order, isn't it? Give up the ways of the world, bear your cross, choose God over family and friends, choose him over even your own life. That is a high price to pay, isn't it? I mean, too high, in fact. So high that we, our first assumption is that Jesus isn't actually asking us to do these things. I mean, come on. He's always speaking in parables and hyperbole. I mean, just look at the language here. 
He actually says the word hate, and that can't be a Christian word. So clearly he doesn't actually intend for us to do all that. Ha <laughs> Jesus, he's such a kidder sometimes. But no, this is no figure of speech. Jesus is serious here. He is dead serious. When he says to hate our family and hate even our own lives, he's not saying that we walk around despising everyone else and being some whiny little emo kid always going, oh, I hate my life. What he's saying is that if it comes down to a choice between our Christian faith and our family and friends, that we put Jesus first. He's saying that if we have even a dear friend, a lifelong friend, a friend who has been with us through thick and thin, but who impacts our Christian faith negatively, we cut those ties. Now, we don't seek out such a situation. We pray for our non-Christian friends and family. We speak God's word to them so that they too can share with us in the faith. But if it comes down to it, our devotion to Jesus must come before our devotion to our friends, to our family, to our country, to our political party, to our work, to sports, to everything. If these things are interfering with our faith, we must hate them. Cast them aside, realize what a detriment they are to our lives, and never choose them above Jesus. And if, God forbid, we find ourselves in a situation where our very lives are threatened because of our faith, we are called to cast that aside as well. Someone puts a gun or a sword to your head and says, renounce Jesus or die, we are called to let our blood be our final Christian testimony to this world. This is the steep price of Christianity that Jesus is calling us to. The crowds in the gospel reading, they were following him because he was interesting. He was entertaining. He was giving them bread. He was healing people. He was giving some really great TED Talks along the way. Everyone's happy to follow Jesus when it's popular and it's accepted and everybody's having a good time. But what about when the Palm Sunday parade turns to the bloody road to Golgotha? Are we still willing to follow Jesus then? Understand what lies ahead of you as a Christian. It is not a bed of roses. It's a cross. It's trial. It's ridicule and pain. Because the devil is going to fight you tooth and nail. He is going to sucker punch you every chance that he gets in the hopes of pulling you back into his fiery grasp. Jesus says, consider the cost of following him. And so we do. We hear Jesus' warnings. We look at the way that the world treats Christians. We consider how heavy our cross truly is. And we tell Jesus, dude, I can totally do that. In our sinful hubris, we actually think we can do these things. That we are more than willing to lay down our lives, to put them on the line for the sake of our Christian faith. That we are totally ready to renounce all earthly possessions and pleasures and people for the sake of God's word. But can we really? If push comes to shove, would we actually put God above all things, even our own life? You know, we might talk a big game, 
might have the idea that we'd be willing to be burned at the stake for our Christian beliefs. But how does that play out in our day-to-day lives now? What are you right now, not even under the threat of death, unwilling to hate? How many times have you decided that a couple hours of sleep on Sunday morning is more important than hearing God's word and receiving his blessings? How many times when you've been on vacation have you been unwilling to bother looking for a faithful church to attend? When a politician is blatantly endorsing the slaughter of infants through abortion, demanding that all people take pride in every perversion and attempting to curb your Christian rights in this country, do you speak against them? Or do you think, yeah, that's bad, but they also promise free health care, so they've got my vote. How many times have you decided that even though God's word clearly convicts you of your sin, you're going to keep on doing it anyway because it's your life and it feels good. Don't think that you're willing to go to the gallows for your faith when you won't even go to church or Bible study for it. Many people, great people, thought that they were able to bear the cross, thought that they had properly counted the cost and could easily pay it. They looked at their pitiful pile of six bricks and said, Mmm, that's going to make a mighty fine tower. Peter said he'd give up his life before he left Jesus. And then he fled, denied even knowing who Jesus was when he was confronted by a little girl. King David assumed that he was strong enough and righteous enough to withstand temptation, and it ended in adultery and lies and murder. Moses, Gideon, Adam and Eve... All of them and so many more assumed that they were good enough and strong enough and they would stand firm in the faith on their own and they failed miserably. So if the heroes of the Bible couldn't do it, what chance do you and I have? Zilch. Which is why we don't look to ourselves and our own strength. When I ask our confirmands, do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? They don't respond with an arrogant, you betcha I do. Their response is, I do by the grace of God. Your strength is insufficient, and you will never be able to put aside all sinful desires and temptations in your life on your own. You will never be able to put God as the utmost top priority in your life on your own. But God's grace is more than sufficient. He strengthens us in our time of need. He empowers us to speak out against the blasphemies of this world, even when it costs us so much that we aren't willing to pay it ourselves. He stands with us even to the very end, making us bold and faithful witnesses even if we have to give our very lives, if we look to him instead of ourselves. Even when we fail to put God first, even when we crumple like tinfoil at the first sign of adversity and hide our Christian faith away to save ourselves from mild discomfort, God is there to lift us back up, to strengthen us for the next fight, and the next one, and the next one. His strength, not yours, is sufficient. His mercy, not your might, is what brings you through all trials and tribulations. The only way that you are able to bear any cross at all in this world 
is because Jesus bore the full weight of his cross for you. You are not able to pay the price that your sin demands. And so Jesus has paid it in full. Jesus stood to gain nothing at all in his death on the cross. He did it all for you so that you could be washed clean of your sin, so that your penalty could be paid, so that you could be forgiven and restored as a holy child of God. He paid the price for you. And what a price it was. It was not some figurative cross that he bore. It wasn't even just the physical agony and death of crucifixion, although that itself was certainly more than we could bear. Not even just the humiliation and degradation of being mocked and taunted by the very people that he came to save. The spiritual torment of the cross is a price higher than any of us could ever imagine, and certainly higher than we could ever pay. As the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ, holy and perfect, without spot or blemish, took upon himself every single sin ever committed. He who was sinless became the very embodiment of all sin, as he put himself squarely between us and the righteous wrath of God that we deserved. He left his heavenly throne to take on our human flesh, to suffer and die in our place, giving his eternal life in our place as the only sacrifice good enough to pay the staggering price of mankind's sin. Any one of us in his position would have looked at our sinful creation, the ingratitude, the wickedness of man, and we would have said, the price is too high. It's not worth it. But God, in his unfathomable love for sinners like you and me, he looked at us in mercy, and he willingly paid the price in full, giving himself over to death on the cross. His death is your death to sin, and his resurrection is your guarantee of everlasting life. He paid your price in full when he was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead. And when we consider the price that he paid, when we know that he has paid it in full for us, anything that we are asked to give up in this world is nothing compared to that. And honestly, the earthly price of giving up sin isn't nearly as high as you might think. It's not nearly as bad as the devil tries to convince you that you're giving up something great. I mean, give up sex outside of marriage? Oh no, I'd be missing out on STDs and emotional scars. Give up worldly popularity? The world doesn't care about you one bit. It already hates you for being a Christian, and you can't possibly live a life worldly enough that it's not going to turn on you. Look at all the progressive celebrities that have been crucified by their own culture for not being worldly enough. Give up drunkenness? Give up gossip? Give up lust and filthy talk and laziness and selfishness? Yeah, because those things can never be satisfied in our lives. We are always going to want more and more and more, and we will be enslaved to them. So giving them up actually gives us more freedom, more joy. And even if you are called to make the ultimate sacrifice for your Christian faith, 
Does that price even hold a candle to the eternal joy that Jesus has won for you? Is it a hardship to give up life here in the valley of the shadow of death? Life that is filled with heartache and disappointment and temptation and doubt and sin and filth? When this life is taken from us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we will enter into a far better life, a life without sorrow or pain, a life without sin or death, without any want or any tears, a perfect life in heaven, reunited with those who have gone before us and after us in the one true faith, dwelling in our heavenly mansions and joyfully serving the Lord, singing his praises forever as we see our loving Heavenly Father face to face. Jesus says that to follow him, we must consider the cost. And so we do. And when we consider it honestly, we realize we can't possibly pay it ourselves because the cost is far too high. But rather than despair, Rather than turn our back on the faith, we turn instead to the cross, and we see how Jesus has paid the price for us. He bore his cross. He gave up earthly popularity and pride. He laid down even his very life, only to take it up again in victory. Your victory. And given the price that he has paid for you, Given the eternal, perfect gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation that he has given to you freely, any meager price that we are asked to pay in this world is absolutely worth it. Because by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.